Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to be looking at 15 verses today. And those of you who are just joining us for a time, we do have a church app that you can look up and find that and download it. We have notes there. We have different resources. Hopefully that will be something that will be a blessing to you. I wanted to start off as we're talking about ebb and flow, and I'll define that a little bit later. But I'm wondering how many of you know what a sanderling or a sandpiper bird is? Have anyone seen one? Okay, maybe one out of all of you. Like, I, I didn't know that's what they were called, but I've seen them before. Because if you ever go to the ocean or the sea, you'll see these birds that kind of have that, these skinny legs, and they kind of quickly run towards the shore and then quickly run back. I, here's a picture so you can look at it. Uh, this is what they look like. These sanderlings, or they call it the, the sandpiper birds. And the interesting part about these birds is that they wait until the waves recede. They go back into the ocean, and they quickly run into that area where the water just covered it. And they will start using their beak to get some of the invertebrate or maybe just some small crabs, whatever it may be. And then when the water is about to come back again, they will quickly run away from it, and they do this constantly. It's, it's fascinating. It's amazing. Now, because there's only one or two people who have ever seen this in this lifetime, I bet you when you see it, you're going to be like, ah, oh, I've seen that before. But I know that's not what you knew, well, their name or what they were called, but I want to show you this quick video because it will help you to kind of see. What I want you to see is two things. First of all, I want you to see the waves, how it comes and goes, and then I want you to see these sanderlings or sandpiper birds and see how they go with the flow of the waves. It's amazing. This has to be like basic animal instinct. Like they've mastered this. They timed it perfectly. No child who's five to nine can time it this perfectly. It is incredible. So I want you to watch this video. It's about a minute long. I want you to watch how some of these birds feast upon some of the dinner that they're going to have. But just watch the waves coming in out. Let's watch it together. Isn't it me mesmerizing? You're just watching them, and they're, they're like picking, using their beak into the sand, and you're thinking, surely they'll be swept away. But right when it comes, they know. I, I don't know about you. I'm not much of an animal lover, but they were kind of cute. What you just saw, I believe, in many ways, it's a metaphor for life. Every single day and every single week, maybe every month, every year, there are different seasons, different things that we go through. That's why if you look at your life, if you took the time to reflect, you realize there are some things that come in and something that will come out. There's this ebb and flow of life. And how we respond to it and how we move with it will really determine where you will be in your future. Let me define the word ebb and flow according to several dictionaries. The Merriman Webster Dictionary defines it as this, to describe something that changes in a regular and repeated way. The Oxford Dictionary defines it as a re- current or rhythmic pattern of coming and going 
or decline and growth. The Cambridge Dictionary defines it as the way in which the level of something regularly becomes higher or lower in a situation. So from these dictionary definitions, we get this idea of this rhythmic pattern of things in life, something that changes, there's a change, and also it occurs over and over again. That's why when you think about your life right now, you really have to understand the ebb and flow of what's happening. Think about your relationships. There's an ebb and flow. There are times when you're emotionally, in, in some ways, very high. Things are great. Then there are other times when things are busy. It just seems like it's kind of retracting away. That's just part of life. No relationship is going skyrocketing and exponential. Trust me. Some of you are still in la-la land. And sometimes even when you get married, it's not going to be like honeymoon every single day. There's an ebb and flow. You got to know it and you got to be able to catch it and understand it. Think about your relationship with your friends. It's the same way. There's an ebb and flow. Some seasons you're spending more time, you're closer. At other seasons, it doesn't seem that way. You seem very distant. That's why you have to kind of contact them and say, hey, what's been going on? I haven't talked to you for a while. Think about your workplace. There's ebb and flow. There's some seasons where it's very busy, where you're doing a lot of OT. There are other seasons you're working on, I don't know what you're working on. You're checking out the next vacation spot on your boss's time. There's that ebb and flow. Think about schoolwork. If you look throughout the whole semester, you're like, my life is so, no, no it's not. Okay, it's only during midterms and finals. Everything else, you're just lazy and goofing around. There's an ebb and flow. And a lot of times we are stressed and overwhelmed because you haven't been studying throughout the in-between. I was thinking about ministry. There's an ebb and flow in ministry. Certain seasons that are busy, especially as we're getting ready for this new season, it's busy. We're doing Operation Campus Reach, Operation City Reach, and it's going to take some time, some energy, some of your sacrifice. Other seasons is a little bit quiet where you can take a little break. And so what I'm trying to describe is that in life, there is this ebb and flow that you need to understand. And once you catch it and you understand the flow of things, that's when you're going to be able to respond and grow through it. So today I want to talk about that, just learning how to navigate and use this ebb and flow for the good so that we'll be ready for the next season. We finished off this whole summer on discipleship. Now we're going to be focusing on the new theme that's coming up for this year. There's a lot of things we have planned. And so we need to be ready as there is an ebb and flow into our church now as September is quickly approaching. One of the things that I tell people is you have to realize life is not easy. It's because sometimes we're not catching the ebb and flow. And when the water's coming, that's when we're trying to go in and we're swept under. But one of the things that I tell people is this, you have to constantly remind yourself that even though the journey is hard and you might not perfectly get the ebb and flow, that you have to believe that it is worthwhile. If you lose that perspective of this journey and this life following Jesus Christ is worthwhile, some of you are going to be swept under and you're going to miss it. 
That's why I love what Max Lucado said in his book, In the Eye of the Storm. Listen to what he writes. He says this, God never said that the journey would be easy, but he did say that the arrival would be worthwhile. Remember this, God may not do what you want. He will do what is right and best. He's the father of forward motion. Trust him, he will get you home. And the trials of the trip will be lost in the joys of the feast. What a great reminder for us, the ebb and flow of life. There'll come trials, there'll be different temptations, there'll be different struggles, but you're not gonna be going through it every single day for the rest of your life. There are things where there'll be joy in this journey. There'll be mountaintop experiences, there'll be valleys. So you gotta know those seasons of your life. And this is where you realize that even though it's difficult, the journey is worthwhile because we're doing it with Jesus Christ. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing is simply this, that we will keep flowing in God as we keep growing with God. We're gonna keep on flowing with God or in God as we keep growing with God. So I wanna talk about two things in this passage. In order for us to keep flowing in God as we keep growing with God, there are two things that we have to remember. The first thing is this, that we must trust in God's process, that we have to trust in God's process. Uh, most of the commentators, as we look at the writer of Ecclesiastes, they say that it's Solomon. Uh, because if you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1, just starting off the whole book, it says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So if you remember, King Solomon was, had all this wisdom. Uh, he was the king of Jerusalem, and he was the son of David. You realize not only wisdom, but he had power, he had riches, he had all the pleasures in the world. And this is important. When you ever read through the whole book of Ecclesiastes, it's such a powerful book to speak to people who might be agnostic or who might be seeking. Because this man had everything in life. Everything that you and I might be aspiring after right now. That's why you're in school. That's why you're trying to study hard. That's why you're working. That's why you're trying to work hard and get that promotion. Because everything that Solomon experienced, those are the things that we're chasing after. So that's why in the first two chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes, he explains that everything in life is what many of you know is, is meaningless. And he's trying to describe all the things that he had in life. And he says it all leads to the sense of emptiness. Many of you right now, because you're very young, you haven't felt this emptiness yet. But just wait and watch. Every single one of us in this room will come to a point in our lives that everything that we do, we're going to feel the sense of emptiness and also a sense of meaninglessness. We'll feel it. Why am I studying? Why, why am I going to work? Why do I get up in the morning? Why do I do what I do? In fact, Solomon uses the word vanity 37 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And that word vanity can be translated as a mist or a vapor or a mere breath. And metaphorically, that word vanity is described as something that is fleeting or elusive. So when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll see this vanity, vanity, everything is vanity. He's talking about life is like a mist. It's like a vapor. It's like a mere breath. It comes and it goes. 
And that's why we see this word vanity coupled oftentimes with the phrase striving after wind. What does that mean? In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 26b, bravo, it says this. It says, this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Let me give you other translations so that you understand what the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to say. In the NIV, it says, this too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Have you ever thought about that for a moment? Just think about this for a moment. How do you chase wind? It's, it's impossible. That's the point. When things are in vain, it's like chasing after the wind. It's almost as if you're doing something and there's no meaning to it and you cannot do it. The New King James Version says this, this also is vanity and grasping for the wind. The Living Bible says, so here too we see an example of foolishly chasing after the wind. I was just thinking about this this week because uh, several days ago, uh, as, as many of you know, uh, we sent our youngest daughter off to college. So now we're empty nesters. And praise God, we've done our job or the best that we could, and now they're on their own. In my mind, I was thinking, wow, it's going to be like party, you know, no more kids in the house, no more responsibilities. But I realized that that's not the emotion that I felt. In fact, there was this kind of weird emptiness that I couldn't really describe because the house was quiet. I remember when our oldest son, he came with us here to Hong Kong for the summer and then he went off to college. Having five people sit around the table for dinner every single day, it just felt different now with four. And then I got used to the four. And then when Elliot, our second son, went off to college and it was just three of us and it was weird, just the three of us. Now I'm outnumbered by the women. <laughs> and now there's just us two. So what happened this week was, I don't know why, I just went into my daughter's room. She still has like some of the stuff there. My wife is going to be going to the States to bring the rest of the stuff and have her uh, move into her dorm and everything. And I don't know why. Like, you guys know me. I'm not really, like, too of an emotional guy. Some people think I am, especially when I, especially when I watch the K-drama or, you know, talking about the loss. But and I, I'm not the kind of person who's, like, reminiscing of, oh, and, you know. Anyway, I'm not like that. So I went into the room, and I just sat there in her bed. And this... <laughs> Thank you for the encouragement, brother. <laughs> and as I sat there on her bed, I was thinking, where did, where did all the time go? I remember when they were younger, like little kids, babies even. All these older couples would be like, enjoy this time. You're going to miss it. I used to hate that. Because here you are changing diapers. They're peeing and farting all over you. And you're like, oh, my God. And, and it's just like one of those things where you're thinking to yourself like, I just wish this time will pass. I can't wait for it to pass. But now I'm on the other side, and now I'm telling, you know, Pastor Bo, and, you know, many other people, enjoy this time. <laughs> You're going to miss it. And I'm sure he's probably thinking, oh, he doesn't understand. Like, I was sitting there, I'm like, where did all the time go? 
it almost seemed as if like not that it was meaningless, but it just seemed like we spent twenty plus some years, almost twenty five years raising kids, and in the blink of an eye, it's just all gone. I think we live in a world, and I I, I think all of us will agree that's const that are things are constantly changing, and there is a sense of a ebb and flow or a waxing and waning. Things that come and go, friends that come and go, jobs that come and go. As we think about all this stuff, the question is this, what do you do? And here, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, you got to look at life in seasons. We're going to keep on flowing in God as we keep growing with God in these seasons. Let's go ahead and read verse one through eight. Listen to what it says. And you could kind of follow along. It says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, a time to heal. A time to break down, a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. I want you to notice that word season in the beginning of verse 1. And that word is translated, and this is important, as an opportune time or an appointed time. So here, the word of God reminds us that everything that we're going through, there is this opportune time, something that God is doing in your life. It is appointed. That means that God, in his sovereignty and in his infinite knowledge, is using this very moment, this time, and the things that you're going through for something. You got to believe in this. Because if you don't, I don't know how you're going to process everything that you go through in life. When there's a death in the family, you're wondering why. When things don't work out, when it comes to different relationships or friendships, and you're wondering why. You're thinking about different things that are towards your future and you're not wondering why not me and why not now but we have to see that right now it's an opportune time for God to do something in your life that it has been appointed by God do you believe that sovereignly God appointed the very thing that you're going through right now because he's doing something that's why the writer when he's saying this appointed time he says everything that is happening. He knows exactly what we need and exactly when we need it. That's why in verse 2 through 8, we're not going to look at every single phrase that is given, but he shares these 14 examples of things which are opposites of each other. We notice that these things are not, if they're not done in the proper time, Think about this for a moment. If some of these things are not done in the proper time and the proper order of things, then it will be detrimental. 
Think about it for a moment. If this season is for healing, but then there are things that are coming where there's conflicts, it, it might destroy you. If some of you are proud and you think you can live without God and he's trying to refine you and trying to break you and you just totally scoff at that, you're missing the opportunity for God to work in your life. When I think about my life, I, I'm so thankful that every season of my life, God brings the right people. He knows exactly what I need at every season of my life. Whether it's a mentor in my life, whether it's somebody I'm discipling in my life, he always brings the right person. Now, that doesn't mean that that person will no longer be there, but it's that moment that God is trying to teach us because you might not have that person again. And the question is, how are you understanding and how are you receiving the very thing that God is providing for you? In this opportune time, in this appointed time, the season. But I think for many of us, when we think about God's appointed time or opportune time, if you don't believe that it's good and it's helpful for you, I think it's gonna, you're going to struggle a lot. And in fact, you might turn away from God. I was thinking about this just recently, just about we're six years into our church here. And this is just a confession. There are times where I'm very frustrated on multiple levels because I've been through this stage again and a couple, several times, and I'm think, thinking to myself, man, if the 20 years, 19, 20 years of what I put in and what we did as a church back in Michigan if, if I could take those 20 years and put it into Hong Kong right now, man, that would be awesome. Our church will have more married couples. Huh. We'll have more children and our building blocks ministry will be growing. Think about it for a moment. Fast forward 14 years, hopefully many of you will be married. Some of you will stay here and be rooted here in Hong Kong. Some of you who are in entry-level jobs, you'll be managers, maybe even CEOs. And then hopefully you'll be tithing. And then I'll be thinking, wow, we're going to have our own building. <laughs> and a little side comment. I mean, every single time I'm meeting up with these pastors, international pastors, uh, once a month, you know, there are times where we share prayer requests. And sometimes when I hear about this church is doing this or they're building this, and I'm just thinking, oh, 20 years of my life just passed before me. And this is when the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Why do I think like that? Why do I feel what I feel? Because there are times when I want to see certain things, how I want to see it, when I want to see it. So then I'm living in like regret or living in the past rather than in the moment and for the future. Rather than being grateful and thankful that in this season, the things that I'm going through, the things that we're facing as a church, it's good for us. I always tell people God had to place me and my family in Ann Arbor for 20 years before we could come out to a global city like Hong Kong. 
Those of you who don't know Ann Arbor, let me just say it's about 120,000 people. That's like two apartment complexes, the big ones, here in Hong Kong. There's 7.4, almost 5 million people in Hong Kong. And I was thinking, God, why didn't you send me to Hong Kong? Why didn't you send me to another big city right when I started doing ministry? Because God knew. He's probably thinking, it's not going to be good for you. You need to learn how to toil and to labor and to go through some of the pains, learning how to pray, learning how to love people that are sometimes unlovable. Learning how to deal with college students who don't give. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, wow, Hong Kong, the financial district of this whole area, region. Surely people will, you know, God knows. That if I came 20 years ago here, I might not be the person I'm here today. Think about some of you who want a relationship, marriage. Now, please, let me, let me qualify all my statements because this is where I'm going to get nasty emails and hurt emails and all this kind of stuff. I am not saying you are single because, you know, you did something wrong or something's, you know, getting married is bad. None of that, please. I'm just saying for a moment, can you pause and look at your life? And maybe there are things that God is trying to do in you that if you had a relationship right now, you will not fulfill the very thing that he has for you. Can I get a good amen to that? Some of you guys are like, I'm not going to say amen to that. (laughs) Because you don't believe it. Because all you're thinking about yourself, and I want a relationship. I want to get married. Do you believe? That God is smarter than you, wiser than you, that he knows things beyond what you know. He is infinite in his knowledge, but you're finite. So the things that you want, the things that you want to do, he knows that if you do it in this season, it will not be good for you because he loves you. Some of you are going through the opposite end of these trials in your life that are difficult. And you feel as if God has abandoned you. But if you don't go through what you're going through, you're not going to do what God is calling you to do for the future. Until he breaks you, humbles you, works in your life where you realize, I cannot trust in myself. I cannot depend on myself, but only God. And as he breaks you, humbles you, then as he calls you to do things that are great for his kingdom, then you'll be humble. You will not take credit for yourself unless you have gone through this because if you don't go through this, you're going to be proud. You're going to think that you did it all by yourself. That's why I'm wondering with the things that you're going to, this is an opportune time, an appointed time from God to help you to see that it's all about what he's doing rather than what you want to do. That's why this Christian life is really about trusting in him and believing that he knows what's best for us. Psalm 31, verse 14 through 15a, listen to what it says. But I trust you. This is the psalmist saying, but I trust you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Listen to some of these other translations. And see what the Spirit of God is trying to speak to you about. 
and read these yellow highlights and say it with some conviction. Read it along with me. It says this in the New Living Translation. But I am trusting you, O Lord, saying you are my God. Come on now. My future is in your hands. Some of you in this room do not believe that your future is in his hands. That's why he's putting you through what you're going through so that you can truly say, God, my future is really in your hand. The message translation says this, desperate, I throw myself on you. You are my God. Come on. Hour by hour, I place my days in your hand. Hour by hour. Every single moment. Are you like that? Or do you turn away and trust in yourself, trying to manipulate situations, trying to get things done on your own terms? The Amplified Version says this, but as for me, I trust confidently in you and your greatness. Pause there for a moment. Do you see how great God is in your life and around the world and all that he's doing, even though it doesn't make sense? That's why the psalmist says, oh Lord, I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. You're not going to be able to trust God with your future unless you see the greatness of God. The Passion Translation says this, I'm desperate, Lord. I throw myself upon you for you alone are my God. Come on. My life, my every moment, my destiny is in your hands. My life, my every moment, my destiny my future is in your hands. Do you believe this? Because if you do not, then I'm telling you right now, you're going to miss the opportune time and the appointed time for you. This is the ebb and flow. What you're going through right now. How about us this morning as we think about this passage? Are you trusting in God's timing and in his process and what he's doing in your life right now? Do you believe that God is good and that he's doing things right now in your life because not only is he good, but he's great and he already knows what you need? I'm wondering what are some of the things that you're going through that in this process right now of pruning and refining is exactly what you need to go through. I'm wondering if you're surrendering your life to him. We must trust in God's process because it's about the seasons. If we're going to keep on flowing in God so that we can grow with God, you got to trust in his process. The second point is this. We must not only trust in God's process, but we got to trust in his purposes. Now, the writer of Ecclesiastes exhorts us not to only trust in God's process and timing, but we got to really trust that he's a purposeful God. Everything that he does, there's a purpose behind it. One of the things that we have to realize is that we are finite, as I shared earlier. Finite in terms of our understanding. And that God is infinite in his knowledge. Many of you know this passage well. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 through 9. I'm going to read it from the message translation. It says this. I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work. God's decree. For as the sky soars high above earth, so the way I work, come on, say this together, surpasses the way you work. And the way I think is beyond the way you think. 
Listen to the voice translation. It says, my intentions. What God is trying to do, his intent. He says, my intentions are not always yours. And I do not go about things as you do. My thoughts and my ways are what? Above and beyond you. Above and beyond. Just as heaven is far from your reach here on earth. This is why time and time again, we find ourselves constantly being humble. Don't raise your hand. But I'm wondering how many of us, we thought that this was it, and then all of a sudden, we realized later on, that wasn't it. God had a different plan. And it was a better plan. I'll be the first one to admit it. I've seen that happen so many times in my life. God, this is it. I know this is it. I've seen it before. And all of a sudden, God throws a curve. I'm like, what? But then later on, as time passes, I look back and I realize, God, you knew exactly what you were doing. You were purposeful. I'm wondering how many of us have seen something bad happen, but it turned out to be the best for us. I hear this all the time, a broken relationship. In that moment, it kills, it hurts. But when you look back, you realize, man, God knew what he was doing. He was protecting me. He was loving me. He had a different purpose for me. Because through that broken relationship, you came to know Jesus Christ. Through that broken relationship, you were able to love God more and be more serious about your faith. Not getting into a program or internship. It sucks big time. But when you look back, you realize, wow, God, you knew what you were doing. You wanted me to stay at this place. You wanted me to experience these things with these people. Some of us, it's a job that we wanted, but we didn't get it. Our hearts are broken. But you realize by not getting that job, it helped you to tap into something that was more meaningful because you were chasing after that job because of the money and success. It was going to leave you empty and feeling purposeless. But then he led you to something else that's more significant and there's more meaning to it. Just think about the COVID situation. I know it's terrible. Not only the lives lost, but everything that has happened economically around the whole world. But I was thinking about, God, was there anything good that came out of it? Man, so many churches around the world are innovating, doing things differently from the way they used to do things. I think about how some of you could not go home. You had to stay in Hong Kong for the summer. And what did you experience this summer? You experienced community, discipleship, and you started to grow in your relationship with God like you've never done before because you were forced, quote, put that in quote, quote, you were forced to stay here. But God purposely and providentially worked in your life so that you can see that he knows what he's doing. So as we're talking about God's purposes, let me try to describe it for you as the writer of Ecclesiastes describes it in the next five-some verses. First of all, you have to understand that God's purpose or God's purposes are beautiful. Everyone say beautiful. Come on, say that together. Beautiful. That God's purposes are beautiful. Let's read verse 9 through 13. It says this. What gain has a worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful 
in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil, for it is God's gift to man. See, in verse 9, it is easy for a person to wonder if there's anything that good that comes out of life. Why? Because look at verse 9 again. We see that what we desire, the things that we want, at the end, it amounts to nothing. You're toiling, you're laboring, you're studying, you're going to work. For what? But then in verse 11, God makes, it says here, God makes everything beautiful in its time. Other translations, in his time. I want you to note that word beautiful. It's not talking about, oh, it's so pretty. That word beautiful can be translated as appropriate. That it is appropriate to the very plans and purposes that he has for you and for us. That's why it's beautiful. When you see God's purposes being unfolded in your life, you realize how appropriate and how beautiful it is. We're not able to, at the moment, see, but he is crafting something beautiful out of the things that you're going through right now. Therefore, when he says, enjoy everything in life as a gift from God, we take it with gratitude and we say, God, I don't deserve this, but the things that I'm able to gain from the things that I do is just to enjoy. Because why? When you see things as gifts from God and you enjoy those things, it glorifies God. Isn't that what Paul said? Whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. And it says God has put eternity in our hearts, which means, listen to me carefully, that you and I were created for something that is eternal. The problem is that you fill your heart with temporary things, and that's why you, are felt, you feel this emptiness and the vanity of life. You and I were created with eternity in our hearts. There's this vacuum in our hearts that only God can fill. And until God fills it with things that are eternal, we're going to be forever hopeless, feeling hopeless and empty in our hearts. That's why I think it's vital to see God working in the middle of our situation, learning how to trust. I've been having some conversations with some people this past week and even just throughout this whole summer. We've been talking about really how do you glorify God in the midst of the things that we go through, like the middle. If you want to look at life, look at it in this way, you're going to go through things. And there are three stages to the things that you go through. There is the beginning, there's the middle, and there's the end. The beginning is, let's say you hear news about something that's bad. And then the middle is like worrying and trying to figure out what do I need to do. That's the part that many of us know very well. And the end part, the last part, is when God works out all things for our good to those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. The problem with us is not so much the beginning because when we hear news, it's just a human reaction to it. You didn't get into that school. You didn't get, into, you didn't get that job. That relationship doesn't work out. You hear news about your family, something going on. That's just normal to feel what you feel. 
And at the end, when God works it out, all of us are like, praise God. God, praise God. He's so good. But this is what I challenge people with. What good is it if from the beginning and the middle you act like an atheist? As if God doesn't exist and you're the God. You're trying to control everything. And then at the end you realize you're not and you're like, oh, praise God. There is no glory in that. A lot of times people will be like, no, he's glorifying God. No, she's glorifying God. My, whatever glorify God. The beauty of understanding God's purposes is not at the end. Because anyone could glorify God because he will always work out things for his glory and for our good. Always. That's what the Bible says. There is no glory at the end when you can then trust in God and say, oh, God is so good. And in the beginning, it's just natural. You don't have to be a Christian to respond to bad news and feel the pain and the hurt. That's human right here. Where the glory is, is right here in the middle. When you don't know the answers, you don't know what's going to happen. You got to fully trust in him. You're going to have to wrestle with God. You're going to have to depend on him. You're going to have to rest. You're going to have to trust fully in him and him alone. And when you are able to glorify God in the middle, then when everything works out and you give praise to God, there's credibility. Can I get a good amen to that? Here, stage one, everybody responds the same to bad news and hardships. At the end, it's easy to say, oh, it worked out. Those who are not believers can say, yeah, it's great. I'm so lucky. If you're a Christian, oh, praise God. But I, I saw your life. You were complaining. You were arguing. You were like controlling things. You were angry. You were anxious. You were worried. You're picking on your little thing. You're losing weight and all this kind of stuff. I want to know that God is big and great right here. I want to know that he loves you and that he knows what he's doing right here. I want to know that you will glorify God in the midst of the hardships right here because I know that at the end it will always work out. I know that from experience and from life after life, different things. I've talked to people I've talked to who have gone through some tragic things. It will always work out at the end. But I want to know it's right here. Are you trusting in him? Are you believing in him? Are you giving your life to him during this moment here? We're going to keep on flowing in God as we keep on growing with God in this area of seeing how his purposes are beautiful. Let me finish off with this last thing. I talked about how God's purposes, when you think about this, you realize that there, there's this beauty to it. But I want you to see this last thing is that God's purposes are so much bigger. Look at verse 14 and 15. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. See, if English is your second language, this will be very confusing. What already has been, which is to be, has been. Let me unpack this a little bit. 
Solomon reminds us that we cannot know God's work completely. We just can't because we're finite. From the beginning to the end, we will never fully comprehend God's sovereign plan. We just can't. Ultimately, it is important that in this process that you see this God who is bigger than you, greater than you, stronger than you, and that it is to call you to a sense of reverence and holy fear. Fear is not like I'm scared, but the sense of awe, the sense of reverence that God, you are awesome, you are great and to obey his commands. In fact, this is what Solomon mentions at the end of his book. After he talks about all these things are vanity and he describes all these things that he experienced in his life, what does he come to the conclusion of the matter? In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, I'm gonna read it from the New Living Translation. It says this, that's the whole story. (laughs) Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. See, when you come to that point in your life when you see God's process, because there are seasons, opportune times, appointed times. So if you're going to flow in God so you can grow with God, you got to be able to accept that God, there's this process and there's this season. And maybe that's what I'm going through right now. And secondly, you have to believe that God's purposes, more than anything else, you have to believe that he's working things, that it's beautiful, and that it's bigger than you. Where are you right now? in your life with what you're going through? What is it that you're facing right now? Part of the ebb and flow of life? A trial, a difficulty, something outside of your control? Do you see God using it to process things in your life? Do you see God's purposes through it? That's why the one thing once again if we're going to keep on flowing in God, then we have to be constantly and keeping on this growth with God. Can I just give us some practical things to think about? After a message like this, you're, some of us are thinking, well, now what? Because I'm going through that right now. Maybe some of you are not, but you're going to soon because there's an ebb and flow in life. So you got to prepare now. First thing is this, take the time to process things. Many of you know that this coming week, we didn't have life group, and next week we're not going to have life group. These two breaks, it's not so that you go, woohoo, no more life group. I don't get to talk to my leaders and all these other, my LCG. Thank God it's done. This is my life. This is why your life is the way it is all the time, because you think like that. But you got to look at it as an ebb and flow. Now there's a time of break so that you can reflect on all that God has been trying to speak to you this summer and this past year. Take the time to process these things. 
I've been encouraging the leaders to take a day off and to just pray, or maybe just some of you who might just take a half a day and to just spend time with God, go out in nature. I know it's been hard to hike in this past week because of all the rain, but as the weather gets better, go hike, see the greatness of God, and sit there and just process what He's doing. What, what is He speaking to you about? The second thing is this, think through things from God's perspective. Every single time you face something in your life, think it through from God's perspective. God, what is it that you're doing? What is it that you're trying to speak to me about? God, how are you going to glorify yourself through this? How are you going to show that you're good in this? See it from his perspective. Third is train yourself to give praise during the process. Or if I rephrase it, train yourself to give God praise in the middle. Stop giving him praise at the end because that's just a given. But give praise in the middle, in the process of it. When it's hard, when you don't want to praise Him, when everything tells you God has abandoned you, God doesn't love you, God is not for you, every time those thoughts come in, still praise Him, believing in what He says in His Word. And lastly, trusting God to be true to His character. Trusting God to be true to His character. If God is really good, you got to trust that everything that He does is good. If God is purposeful, you got to believe that God has a purpose for everything. If God is a great provider and he's providential in our lives, then you got to believe that he's going to provide for you with what you're going through right now. I'm wondering what will happen if you and I and every single one of us who are Christ followers, that we live our lives this way. As we're flowing in God, as he leads us and guides us, as we trust in him. That's where the growth comes. Don't stop with this past summer and the things that he was doing in your life. Keep on growing because he has things for you in the future. That's why he's working on you. That's why he's refining you so that you will be prepared and ready for what he has in the future. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.